I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Mark, chapter number 7. Mark chapter number 7. Put a finger there, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Mark chapter number 7. I just completed leading the first of my two trips to the Holy Land this spring that were makeups from 2020 and 2021. And by the way, thank you, Ernie. I've just heard, gotten some texts and emails while I was in Israel and grateful for your uh, teaching and thankful for you and, and uh, what you've meant to this church over the years. We had an especially fulfilling time. Uh, and it was fulfilling in, for a number of different reasons. One is because we had a lot of first-timers, people that had never been there before. My great thrill and what I believe is a calling that God's placed on my life is to get people there so that they can see their Bible. They visualize things as they read. The second reason is because we had a number of our people that went. I think we had nine that went that were connected with our church. And I promise you this, that, that uh, uh, Tracy and Yolanda and the others that went will never again ever read the word Sea of Galilee like they read it before. Because immediately when you read those words, you have a PowerPoint in your head. A picture is there. You visualize. It's not, it's not that you have to have that. But it's, 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 it's beneficial. It's good to be able to put uh, visual aids to what you have read about all of your life. I, I think this was one of the most enjoyable groups that I have ever taken. And God blessed us in a very unusual way. We saw some incredible sights while we were there and, and, and visited, you know, places like Nazareth. We talked about in Sunday school this morning. We stood, we stood on the hill of Megiddo and looked out at the valley that the Bible calls Armageddon. Napoleon stood there many years ago and as he viewed it said, this is the most strategic battlefield in all the world. And sure enough, the armies of the world will come there and and uh, for a space of about 187 miles, if it goes as, as a lot of the prophetic uh, scriptures tend to lead us to believe, uh, up to the horse's bridle, five and a half feet deep. And so we stood there and we talked about, we talked about the world and the train wreck that it's on. And how that the Christ that they reject today and mock, how that He will come back and, and uh, He will interrupt their plans to destroy the nation of Israel. And a sword will come out of His mouth and will slay the armies that have gathered there. Don't ever underestimate the Word of God because that's what the sword is. And as He speaks, men, uh, men will face their judgment. We, we were in Bethlehem. We walked the Via Della Rosa in Jerusalem. We saw Golgotha in the garden tomb, and, and we wept together, and we, we laughed together, we ate together, we fellowshiped together, we learned together. Our hearts were moved together as we looked out at the shepherd's fields and, 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 and realized that, that from that insignificant place, God had chosen the great king of Israel, uh, as far as man is concerned, David, though Though he was underestimated by all around him, even his own father did not invite him uh, to the gathering to choose who would be the next king. Yet God saw in that shepherd boy 
he saw a king. Don't ever forget the fact that even though people may underestimate you, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And even though you may be, even though you may be as insignificant as a little kid sitting in the back 40 watching over his dad's sheep, I want to tell you something. God may see more in you than you see in yourself. Most of the time we sell ourselves short rather than, than God who never does that. He always has a plan and a purpose for us. One of the things that I do on our trips, and I said this a little bit in Sunday school, is I trim the fat. I don't want to go to a place where they put a church because Mary cried and a tear fell and an olive tree grew. And they built a church over it. And everybody comes in, mobs in, crawls on their hands and knees, kisses an altar, and does all of the ridiculous things that come along with religion. Okay. What we have in the Holy Land is a large conglomeration of golden calves where men want to visualize something and they want to worship something rather than worshiping the person that was there and the reality of, of what happened in that place. Okay? They can't just have the, the, uh, the Mount of Olives with 2,000-year-old olive trees there. They've got to have the rock upon which he prayed and sweat drops of blood so that people can come and have mass and get on their knees and kiss the rock and, and all of those things. It's, it's ludicrous. Walking the Via Della Rosa, walking the Via, Via Della Rosa, there's a place, a hand place where he stumbled with the cross and that's where his hand touched. And so people are walking by, they're putting their hand there. When in reality, the street that he walked is below us. Okay? It's on the Via Della Rosa, there's, there's a number of different stops. You may not know this because you read your Bible, but he stumbled three times. Somebody was there counting. And you may not know this, but there, there's a stop there, and it's the place of Veronica. Now, I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but the last time I read about Veronica, it was in the Archie comic book, if any of you have ever read that. So here's this lady, Veronica. She's not in the Bible, but Jesus stopped to wipe her brow or something like that. So you, there's a lot of religion there. Listen to me carefully. You cannot escape the presence of religion in the Holy Land because, and I'm using quotations marks purposefully, churches that aren't really churches, religious edifices are everywhere. They have been built over the sites of things that, that uh, aren't even the real site of of where it happened. So while I was there, after going in the church of the Nativity, where there it's controlled by the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church, and they take turns reading scripture and things like that. And those of us that are Christians have got to stand in a long line to get down to the grotto to where to where history records that Jesus was born. That's one of the few accurate places. Um, but but in any case, um, uh, when we left there, I got on the bus and. I took the microphone and I talked to the people about the difference between religion and Christianity. And the thing that I said to them is that there's a great gulf between the two. They're not the same. I'm talking about man's religion. I understand what pure religion is, but we're not talking about we're talking about man-made religion today. It started with Cain. It started with Cain and it continues even to this day. Religion's based on works. Christianity is based on faith. Religion is based on trying. Christianity is based on trusting. 
Religion is based on doing. Christianity is based on being. Religion begins with the outer man. Uh, Christianity begins in the inner man. Religion seeks to change the head. Christianity changes the heart. And so there's a difference between the two, and that is so clearly evidenced. And those people that are here <coughs> today that went on that trip with us will, will tell you it's so clearly evidenced in that place, like no other place. Because it's sacred to us as Christians, it's also sacred to Jews and Muslims and, and Catholicism and Greek Orthodoxy. They all collide there, wanting to build their edifice over a place that they can claim uh, as a religious spot that they own. Now I want you to look with me in, in Mark chapter 7. Okay, Let's go to Mark chapter 7. And out of this text, I'm going to make my first point. I want to, I want to draw some distinctions today that will help us between religion and Christianity. Okay, <coughs> and, and we have to decide where we're falling out on this, how we're going to live our life. So first of all, let me say this. Religion values tradition over truth. It always values tradition over truth. Look with me in Mark 7. Verse 1, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is to say, unwashing hands, what's the next three words? They found fault. Okay. So what, we, what we're being introduced here is to a religion that is based on contradiction. It's a religion that finds fault. It, it's looking for something that it can criticize. Now, how many of you wash your hands? Okay, several of you. I'm grateful. I, I wanted to do that because that'll let me know who not to get near the table there. So it's a good thing to wash your hands. Now, listen to me carefully. That's a good thing. In fact, can I help you with this? It ought to be a tradition. Okay? Let me help you with this. Teach your children to wash their hands. Okay, I've lost half of you right now. What? No, no, it's, it's good, all right? Just washing your hands is a good thing, okay? So, so that's a good tradition to have. I'm not going to chase a rabbit trail into brushing your teeth and using deodorant and things like that. I'm going to leave that alone, and we'll deal with that at another message on called rabbit chasing. However, those are all good things to do. But the reality of the matter is simply this, we, we, cannot, we, cannot, we cannot elevate them to a place to where they have great eternal value. Okay. Whether you wash your hands or not really isn't a doctrine. Now stay with me, look with me in verse number 2, and, and so that verse number 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, oft, oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. Who are the elders? They're men. Okay, So men do this, so we want to do it also. And so all they're doing is they're polyparroting, they're mimicking the tradition that they've grown up in, and they've taken that tradition and they've brought it to a level to where it becomes truth to them. Alright, watch this. Verse 4. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Okay. 
So they're, they place great importance on cleanliness. They would not get along with my grandchildren well and uh, thankful that we, had to, we just sold our vacuum cleaner uh, because of the grandkids. Anyhow, verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to what? The tradition of men, the tradition of the elders. Look, this is what we do. Why aren't you doing what we do? Okay? So they're setting themselves up as the measuring device. Here's what I believe. Here's what we do. Why aren't you doing that? We're following the tradition of the elders. Why aren't your disciples following the tradition of the elders? Okay? Now, um, uh, uh, but eat with unwashing hands. Verse 6. Now, now listen to Jesus. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah the pro- prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now look, look, that, that, look that's, that's pretty blunt. I mean, they're, they're asking him a seemingly innocent question, but Jesus knows the intent of their heart. It's not just the question, it's what, they, what they're intending in the question. They're finding fault. They're, they're, the, the motive behind what they're doing is fault finding, and they're, they're trying to trip him up. And so Jesus just cuts to the chase and says, You know what your problem is? You're a hypocrite. Okay. You're a hypocrite. If you did that, people would say, oh, pastor, that's so unkind. No, no, Jesus did it, all right? Well, look at this, all right? So he said, you talk well, but your heart's a long way off. With your lips, you're doing really, you're saying a lot of good things, but, you're, but your, heart's, your heart's not there. How be it in vain do they worship me? Teaching, watch this, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. They take a commandment that a man makes, and they turn that into a doctrinal position that they live by, okay? Doctrines is the set of truths that we believe garnered from the Scripture, right? Now, watch this. For laying aside the commandment of God, so let's take the commandment, let's take this, watch this, let's, let's lay that aside, okay? Let's lay that aside, and let's, let's find us some traditions. Let's see what men say. So they set aside the commandments of God, and they build their life around doctrines, and traditions, or traditions that have become doctrines uh, to them. And then he said, verse 9, he said unto them, Full well, <coughs> full yet well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and mother, whoso curseth his father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. So this is basically about a child taking care of their parents uh, when they're old and feeble. And, and they, he's saying, you, you're, you freed yourself from, from, from those types of things, making the word of God, verse 13, of none effect through your tradition. The Bible says this, but you're living by your tradition. The Bible says you should watch out and help and take care of but now you're saying, no, 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 we just give a gift and then we're done. All right, look at this, verse 13. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things, such like things, do you? Can I tell you this? Can I tell you this? That once you decide that you're going to, that you're going to live by tradition and that you're going to elevate tradition unto truth, there's no end to it. It doesn't stop there. Their traditions have a way of, of, of expanding and growing and taking over lives, okay? Churches that are built solely upon tradition ultimately get to a place to where they, they, take, it, they take advantage 
They, they, they abuse the, the privilege of traditions. And it, 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 it tends to overwhelm your life. Noah Webster, in 1848 version of his, of his dictionary, said this, listen. A tradition is that which is handed down from age to age by oral communication. And then he said this, this is significant. The Jews pay great regard to tradition in matters of religion, as do the Romanists. Protestants reject the authority of tradition in sacred things and rely only on the written word. Well, we're not Protestants, we're Baptists, but, but, but that's exactly what we believe, and that is we rely on the Scripture. Traditions may be good, Webster says, or bad, true or false. Let me give you an example of that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. So that's good. Paul said, now I've given you some traditions. Don't lose those. Hold on to them. They're good for you. They're healthy for you. Let, let me give you an example. It's, um, um, it's a tradition. Um, we go to church. When the doors are open. Now, I know that's a commandment. I understand he, uh, the book of Hebrews. I, I understand that. For forsake not the assembling yourself together. But it's traditional in my family. We don't, it's not a question. We get up and we go to church. That's what we're supposed to do. So we're there. House of God's open. We're there. We, we go. It's not, we, it's not a question. We don't ever get up and say, what do, you, what do you want to do today? It's a beautiful day outside. No, we never, we never do that. We, this is God's house. This is God's time. So we go. That's a tradition in our house and in our family. There's certain traditions that we do, and, and, uh, and those are good things, okay? So they're good traditions. Watch this, verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. In other words, it's not based on anything that has any scriptural principle to it. This is just man, okay? This is just man's idea. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So we can really get, there's some cockamamie things floating out in the world. Okay? I, remember, I remember when I went to Bible college, there was a professor there that preached against wearing jewelry in the pulpit. Don't wear a watch. I mean, I'm just, I'm just simply saying you can really go overboard uh, in some of these things. If you're not careful, you can get to a place to where you build mountains out of molehills and you build doctrines out of traditions and, 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 and things that you look at and say, what in the world is this other people hold as deep truths, okay? I remember hearing a guy preach about parting your hair in the middle. Okay, now some of you, that's not a problem. My hair's a problem enough because it, it, it uh, in fact, they were mocking me on the trip to Israel. And they think that I use stuff on my hair when my hair is just extraordinarily disciplined. But um, <laughs> we went to, we went to a, an orphanage in China, and I sat on the floor in the orphanage, and these kids are climbing over. I got pictures on my phone. They're climbing over me, and they're going, oh, and they're touching it, you know. It's not a wig. It's a helmet. But anyhow... Um, so, uh, I mean, but, but can you imagine the depth of Scripture that you've got to dig into to, to start telling people how to part their hair? When I hear preachers preaching on stuff like that, I know one thing about them. They didn't have time to study, okay? You can grab some stupid thing and, and, and preach tradition as though, as though it is truth. There's nothing inherently wrong. We all have traditions the problem is when we elevate them 
to be equal with God's Word. Let me give you an example. We were in the Temple Institute, which is where, which is where the Jews have stored the priestly garments. We saw them. We saw, we saw the harps that will be used in, when the temple is placed back upon the mount. We saw uh, priestly garments. We, 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 we saw uh, so many of the, uh, the altar that was portable and built. And it's amazing the things that they, they have them ready now. Ready now for the, for the restoration of the Jewish temple on the mount. But I was sitting there listening to them talk, and, and I just thought to myself, guys, why, why can't you just give Scripture and stop? What, what, be silent where the Scripture's silent. You, if the Bible doesn't say it, you may think it, but you don't know it. If the Bible doesn't say it, don't go beyond that. So here, here's what they did. They told, us, they told us that Adam was created on the Temple Mount. Dude. I ran outside and started looking for the Tigris and Euphrates. And then I realized something had diverted the flow of those rivers all the way to Babylon, okay, to Iraq. Well, why are they saying that? Because they don't want to admit anything is in Iraq, okay? But we got to, wait a minute, that's not all. Ready for this? Noah's Ark settled on the Temple Mount. That's in Turkey, in, in Ararat. But again, why would they not want to admit that? It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just some silly stuff that, 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 that they go on um, because they, they are, they're, they're basing so much stuff on, on tradition rather than truth. So, can I just say this? Traditions are well, but let's stick with the Bible. Read your Bible. Memorize your Bible. Love your Bible. Don't follow tr the traditions of men when it contradicts the Scriptures. Stay with the Scripture, okay? And, and give space even in that. Number two, religion values performance over people. Now, I want to give you three passages of Scripture real quick, and you can write these down. But let me tell you what religion will do for you. It kills man's compassion. It kills man's ability to have compassion. Okay, look, you won't find you won't find compassion in religion. You either do what they. It's, it's my way or their highway. And, and 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 while we were there, people were people were crawling on their knees to kiss a stone, and and and, and people are literally oblivious to them. Why? Because they're all wrapped up in the performance of what they think is the thing to do. You see. And most of these people wouldn't know salvation if, 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 if it was spelled out before them. They don't understand words like born again. They don't know what it means to be saved. They think that somehow there's a code or a creed that if they keep, they're going to make their way to heaven. And that's why Matthew 7 says a large group of people are going to stand before him and say, Lord, Lord, have we not? Boom, 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 boom. We've done all these things in thy name. And Jesus is going to say to them, uh, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. It's not that I knew you and forgot you. I knew you and I lost you. I knew you and I fumbled you. It's I never knew you. You were never mine. You went to church. You called on your knees and kissed the stone. Okay. You ate a wafer and drank out of a cup. But you thought that was salvation, but it wasn't. Um, ritualism destroys compassion. 
Let me give you, first of all, John chapter 5. All right, we'll say in the book of John. In John chapter 5 at the pool of Bethesda, and we were there, that place is surrounded by wounded and broken people. Imagine, would you, if you could there, uh, in, amongst those porches of Bethesda, broken people laying everywhere. Well, there's a man there, there was a man there who, who wanted to get in the water, but for 38 years, because of his infirmity, he could not walk like everybody else. And every time the water was stirred, he wanted to get in and be healed by the moving of the angel in the water. He was unable to make it. Isn't it amazing that of all the people there, Jesus picked him out? And he asked him a question that might seem to be uh, unfeeling. He said, you know, what, what is it that you want? Do you want to be healed? Well, of course he did. Jesus was bringing him to a place to where he would help the man discover his own problem. And the man said, yes, sir, but no man, no man, when the time comes, will take me down. Let, let me tell you something. Take those two words, no man. How are you going to get to heaven? No man. How can you find forgiveness? No man. How, 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 how can you make it to where you, you desire? It's not man. It's no man can do that. No man can do that for you. See? And so Jesus, of course, we know, we know, healed him. All right, now watch this. Chapter 5 of John, verse 10. What did religion say? The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Hey, can you imagine? Can you imagine such ignorance? Such blatant, inconsiderate stupidity. Here's a guy that for 38 years, for 38 years, prayed and wept and desired to be set free, and now he's set free, but it doesn't meet the requirements of religion, and so religion said, you know what, that's not right, that's not lawful. That's amazing to me. But can I tell you this? Religion is more concerned with the Sabbath than they are the healing of the man that for 38 years lay in a broken condition. It's always that way. Second thing is in John chapter 9, the pool of Siloam. Okay, the pool of Siloam. We're introduced to a blind man. Jesus healed the blind man. You remember that story? I, I love this story because there's some sarcasm in it and that just sort of feeds my soul a little bit. I have some wiring like that. I mean, I'll hear something and I'll think, dude, it's a perfect point for sarcasm. And people just let it go over their heads. What a wasted, what a wasted time. So here they're here, and, and they're, they're talking to the guy's parents, and the parents, you know, was this guy born blind? He said, look, ask him, he's an adult. They actually didn't want to face the problem that they would have had of being booted out of the temple. So finally they go to the man, and they said, this guy's a sinner. He can't do anything for you. And the guy said, well, how about that? Isn't that an amazing? You say he's a sinner, but he, he, he healed me. And then he says to them, would you become his disciples? Well, they snapped and kicked him out of the temple. They booted him out. Verse number 16, therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not what? The Sabbath day. There it is again. There it is again. We care more about the Sabbath day than we do whether you see or not. Totally unfeeling. Inconsiderate. This is our creed. This is our code. If you keep it, you're good. If not, we don't care. We, we're not concerned about your condition or your eternity. John 12. John 12. Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha, his sisters, 
not only were weeping and brokenhearted, but they were perplexed that Jesus had delayed his coming. Now, there was a superstition uh, uh, in that area amongst Judah that, that um, the spirit of a man lingered around the body for three days. So if there's a miracle that's going to happen, it has to happen in, in day one, two, or three, you see. Because after that, the spirit departs, and that's why the body begins to smell. So when Jesus shows up on the fourth day, you know, it said to him, by now it's the fourth day, by now he stinketh. Wow, the spirit's gone. He's actually totally gone, hopeless now. Jesus waited on purpose. And he stands outside, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Then he stands out there and amongst grieving, broken-hearted, hopeless people, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine, can you imagine the dropped jaws as Lazarus uh, rigidly walks out of the grave, still wrapped in clothes, and Jesus says to the grave clothes, loose him, and Lazarus is set free. Well, Caiaphas, remember, Sunday school this morning, Caiaphas, the mafia leader, high priest, the hoodlum that wore religious garb, the man that murdered his competition, the Al Capone of religion, Caiaphas had said, it came from Caiaphas, it's expedient that one should die for the people this week. Well, wait, 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 wait. He ain't happy with one now. Why? Because Lazarus now is drawing people to Christ by his very testimony of having been dead and is now alive. And so now all of a sudden, religion doesn't just want to kill Jesus. They want to kill Lazarus, okay? So verse number 12, uh, verse number 10 of chapter 12, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. They want to. They want to. It can happen if we're not careful. Look at me. Listen to me carefully. This can happen if we're not careful. We can get to a place to where we place so much value, so much value on performance that we lose our value in people. Okay. Look like us dress like us, act like us, talk like us, walk like us, and you're good. But if you come in and you look different, okay, and you don't meet the visual test, if we can't check the boxes off for the type of people that we want to be members of South Valley Baptist family, then we don't want them in our family. And it's very easy if we're not careful because of our conservative nature. It's very easy if we're not careful that we place value over the performance of people rather than over the people themselves. What can you do for us? How can you, how can you agree with us? So we have to be careful that we don't place importance on external compliance with our expectations so much so that we lose our love and we lose our compassion and the way that we value other the way that we value other people. I'm reminded of Luke 9. We won't go there, but remember they went into a city and the, and the city did not he's going to Jerusalem and so they go ahead and they go to a city of the Samaritans to make ready for him. 
The people of Samaria said, no, he's not coming here to stay. He's, he's, remember, look, this is a racial issue here, and I don't, I'm not going to go into all This is a racial issue, Samaritans and Jews. Okay, well, he's not coming to really stay here. He just wants to use us to spend the night here because he's going to Jerusalem anyhow. So, no, we don't, we don't really want him to come here. It'll draw a crowd, be too much to handle. No, just tell him to keep moving. So James and John got, they, they got really irritated. They were called the sons of thunder for a purpose, okay? And it wasn't because they liked to sit out in a rainstorm and hear the noise, okay? They had thunder within them. They, 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 they were thunderous in their attitude sometimes. And so they just said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I love it. Hey, hey, they're not going to do that to you. Not on our watch. So how about this? Give us some power. We'll call fire down and just burn them up. Crispy. I'm talking crispy. Burn them. Sunny side up. Burn them. Kill them. And Jesus said, Jesus, he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Can I ask you a question? Who is it that you'd like to burn up? I mean, if you could call fire from heaven right now, don't lie. Just, I'm not asking you just, uh, don't call any names, especially if it's your husband sitting next to you. Please don't do that. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, just, uh, just think about this for a moment. If, if you could call fire from heaven, how would you decrease the surplus population? Okay. To quote Scrooge. Who would you eliminate? Jesus said, you don't even recognize your own spirit. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful in church, we can become identified by whom we're against and who we don't like and who doesn't jive with us and who doesn't fit well with us. And if we're not careful, we can become uh, uh, with a uh, condemning attitude toward people that aren't identical and aren't the same with us. The only hope they have is Jesus Christ. The only hope they have. I've seen people that have gotten saved that you just, it just seems so natural. Then I've seen people that got saved and you just thought, I don't know about that. But all the change that God can make in a man's life, it's amazing. Let, let, me, let, me, let me just say we need to guard against that spirit. Last of all, religion values show over substance, okay? Now, in Matthew 6, he's going to address three subjects, okay? You start Matthew 6 out, and he's talking about alms. Pastor, what is alms? It's giving, okay? So this is what he says, basically, on the subject of giving. Uh, he says, uh, he's talking about the difference between show and substance. So he says about giving in verse number 2, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Okay. So they, you know, they'd get there and blow the trumpet. I'm going to give. And everybody stops. Dude, this guy's got some money. You know. I remember being in a meeting one time. They were raising some money. I was way young. They were raising some money for a Bible college in, in Atlanta and a great college, and, and I was a young pastor there in, in, in my first pastorate, and there was a very wealthy man that was there, and they were asking for money, and I remember, I remember the fact that I forget what we gave, but it, we were just scraping to get by. It was out of my own wallet, but it was everything that I had, and then this guy gets up and blows everybody away by giving tens of thousands of dollars. Nobody, 
nobody said a lot of amens when the, when the little guys were giving, but when he gave his tens of thousands, everybody cheered. Can I tell you that the people that gave the little amount probably were given more percentage-wise than he was. And the widow gave her might. But you know what her might represented? Everything she had. Everything she had. And so he said there, don't, don't do this. Don't do this to get glory of men. Because listen, listen. You have your reward. If you want to get praised here, enjoy all the praise, because that's all you're getting. You're not getting on, on the other side. Verse number 5 in the same chapter, Matthew 6, he changes subjects, and he's talking about praying. And he says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Barely I say unto you, they have their reward. On our flight on El Al, at a certain time of the day, all the Orthodox Jews get up and they stand in the middle of the plane and they're rattling luggage and they're making a scene and they're, all, they're not praying privately. Jesus said, enter into your closet and pray. They're praying openly before everybody and they're, they're, you know, they're, and I understand why they're doing what they're doing. I'm just simply saying it's an open display. Jesus said, no! Go get in your closet and pray. I'll meet you there. We had a, I had a guy that I knew years ago, you'd go to a restaurant, and I wouldn't sit with him, because in the restaurant, when it came time to pray, he would stand and say, Our Heavenly Father, dear God, today we thank you. You know what I did while he was praying? I ate my eggs. I did, I'm serious, I just, I was eating, rattling my fork. You know why? Because that's not prayer, that's show. There's no substance to it. By the way, it all turned out to be a sham anyhow in his life. We've got to decide whether we're looking for show or substance. Because Jesus said, you got your, if you won't show, that's your reward. Enjoy that. Enjoy that. Now, I, look, I'm not, I'm not being hyper on this. So, so don't, I'm not, this isn't a condemning statement. But that's why when people sing, we don't, I don't want people, I don't want people singing for that. When we have kids come up to sing, I don't want them getting used to I like that. I don't want them singing for applause. Because what if they get up one time and sing to the glory of God and, and, and the angels of heaven weep over the beauty of their song and nobody goes, and they go home and think, oh, I was a failure. You know. You have your reward. Verse 16, he talks about fasting. And he said, don't be as the hypocrites of a sad countenance for they disfigure their face that they may appear unto men to fast. Barely I said to you, they have their reward. How you doing today, Brother Jane? Well, not real good right now. Oh, are you sick? No, I'm not sick. Well, you, I, you look a little pale. I'm fasting. Really, I'm just fasting. Don't, it's, it'll be fine. Oh, well, my stomach's growling. I mean, you know, they're going to walk away saying, oh, man, he's spiritual. Enjoy that. Soak all of that up because that's all you're getting. That's all you're getting. I told you years ago, and I'll close, I'll tell you years ago that I was in a church in North Georgia with a guy whose church was really struggling. And I preached a revival for him, and at the end of the meeting he gave me a love offering, okay? He gave me several hundred dollars, I think it was like, I don't know, four, five hundred dollars love offering. When the meeting was over, God touched my heart and said, you don't need that like he needs it. 
give that to him. That's, that money is his. So I asked him after church, I could have talked with you in your office and said, sure. So we went there and said, look, God's really laid this on my heart and I want to sign the back of this. I want you to take this and buy groceries for your family or do whatever you want to do. No, I can't do that, preacher. I said, yes, you can. God told me to do this. Don't, don't, don't do that. Let me do, let me be obedient to God. Take this. So he thanked me. Eyes welled up with tears. I signed it. He said to me, you don't know how much this means to us. We're really in a hard, tight time right now. I'm so grateful for this. I hugged his neck and said, brother, I love you. I'm thankful for you. Thanks for just having me and let me preach. I appreciate it. I went to my sister's house and people were gathered there. And I got thinking about the good deed that I had just done. Son, what a nice guy. I mean, I, I wish I would have had a mirror. You know, I should have been wearing a rearview mirror so I could have seen myself. Coming from my forehead right there, Dean, that was awesome. And so in the living room as we were there, I made this statement. I said, uh, well, I love Brother Austin. And I said, uh, I helped him out a little bit. Gave him, the, gave him the love offering that he had given me. And my sister said something that crushed me. My sister Judy, she said, yeah, I know. He told me. And I was like, so I didn't have to, I didn't have to publicize that. He already had. And in this ear, the Holy Spirit whispered something to me. Enjoy. Enjoy it. Because you ain't getting nothing for it. Take the praise. Ask him to clap. Here, right here. Pat yourself on the back. Because your reward is the ability to tell that. And you know what? God never blessed me for doing that because I blessed myself. That's what he's saying here. He, he's saying, make up your mind whether you want show or substance. Whether you're doing it for my glory or for your glory. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, Whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's why we should live, breathe, minister, whatever we do. Do it so that God can have glory. And listen to me carefully. If God can't get glory out of it, leave it alone. Let it lie. Don't waste your time with it. Let's bow our heads, could we? Religion. Religion, its motives are different. Its methods are different. Christianity is, is built on the glory of God and the grace of Christ through His death for us. Don't... Um, don't waste your time rewarding yourself. Live for Him, and He'll give you whatever it is He wants you to have. Trust Him.
Father, I thank you today that I am not blinded by religion. The early years of my life, I was brought up in a very, very religious church, but there was no hope. None for me, my family, my dad, none. But by your grace and your guidance, we found what it meant to be Christians. We trusted Christ and our whole life was altered. Thank you, thank you that we're not blinded by some code or ethic or tradition or some man-made edifice. Thank you that we have truth above tradition. I pray that you would bless us this week, help us to serve you and live for you, and bless our service on Tuesday night, Lord. I pray you'd crown that with your presence. And during this special week as we work and invite people for Easter Sunday, I pray it'd be a great time together for your glory. In your glory only, in the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.